Every two years, the APA publishes the State of Transportation Planning Report with the intention of highlighting innovative ideas, cutting-edge research, and interesting experiments in transportation planning in the United States. As part of the 2022 edition of the report, titled Intersections and Identities, a Radical Rethinking of Our Transportation Experiences, we're bringing you a series of interviews with pioneers and industry leaders across the U.S. who are offering their insights into some of the most challenging issues facing our field. Hello, everyone. I'm Divya Gandhi. And I'm M. Hall. And we are the co-managing editors of the sixth edition of the State of Transportation Planning Report. And this is Critical Conversations in Transportation Planning. In this podcast episode, we're excited to hear from Tamika Butler, who wears many hats. She is a national expert on issues related to public policy, the built environment, equity, anti-racism, diversity and inclusion, organizational behavior, and change management. She's the principal and founder of Tamika L. Butler Consulting, and also a doctoral student in urban planning at UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs. Welcome, Tamika. Tell us a little bit about your background, your journey, you know, how you came to your current role. Because I make bad decisions. (laughs) So, you know, my, my background is as a civil rights lawyer. I I'm originally from the Midwest. I left the Midwest to go to law school uh, in the Bay at Stanford. And after that, practiced in in San Francisco uh, doing employment discrimination, um, primarily focused on on racial discrimination, gender discrimination, and then um, LGBTQ uh, discrimination. And when I started, my project uh, was to open up uh, workers' rights clinics in the historically Black communities of San Francisco, so Western Edition and and Bayview-Hunters Point. And it was at the time when when the T-line was was fairly new in Bayview-Hunters Point. And I think that's really my first interaction with the way that that transportation was was just so important to all of these other issues, right? Like no one really wanted to talk to me about work if they couldn't get to work. And, and so before folks could trust this young lawyer who wasn't from the community, they wanted to know where I, where I was on, on, on Muni, right? Because there are a lot of folks who felt like it was just a line that was built to get tourists to candlestick, not necessarily to, to help the Black folks in that community. And that always stuck with me, you know, being really uh, invested in that. But eventually I met my partner um, who was in LA. After being long distance for a while, I moved down here. I left law behind because everybody's happier as a former lawyer uh, than an actual lawyer. And I had a number of nonprofit jobs and I, I had a really tough uh, go at a, at a nonprofit where I was doing racial justice uh, and LGBTQ work. It was kind of like an intersection of my identities. It was a dream job, but it was just a grind. And I, I had a friend who suggested I apply for a job at the Bike Coalition. And I, I wasn't really sure about that. I I loved riding my bike. This is a friend who had taken me to get my first road bike, convinced me to do AIDS life cycle and ride from San Francisco to LA. Um, and so she hadn't steered me wrong thus far. Uh, and she suggested I apply for the job at the Bike Coalition. I applied, got the job as executive director. And I think that really uh, changed my trajectory. Um, because urban planning was this field I didn't necessarily know about, right? You, I come from a family where neither of my parents 
had gone to to college and you know I was smart I got good grades it was like be a lawyer be a doctor and urban planning was this field once I was at the bike coalition and I learned about it I was like whoa this is insane there's a bunch of older able-bodied cisgender white dudes sitting in rooms making decisions about how we can move where we can go um, where we can stay um, you know this you know no one tells young kids of color um, or young women or young queer kids or immigrants, you know, you care about social justice, be an urban planner. <laughs> like people don't really say that, but I think once you learn about urban planning, you know, you realize how fundamental it is uh, to all of these other social issues we face. And so for me, it was perhaps to some folks a, a securitist route, but I feel like um, still very much focused on on social and racial justice. And, and once I got the job at the Bike Coalition, my job after that was at a parks organization uh, that built parks and gardens and low-income communities. And so I've really, you know, at, at all stages of my career, I've remained intersectional. Transportation is what I do the most of, but it's really the intersections of transportation and, you know, racial justice, housing justice, environmental justice, so many other issues. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Tamika. You know, the theme for the 2022 report is Intersections Plus Identities, a Radical Rethinking of Our Transportation Experiences. So, yes, uh, thinking a little bit about current transportation issues that you find in most need of a radical rethinking. Something I, I always talk about is I think in, in our planning world, right, no matter what type of planner you are and Planning is so interesting because it's not just like one, like if if you're in law, you're a lawyer, right? But in in planning, you you can be an engineer, you can be a planner, um, you can be a landscape architect, right? Like so, so I think it's hard to just talk about like our profession, but I think broadly in in this industry, one of the things I personally feel is that folks who get into this work. I think we're mostly good people. Like we do this work because we care. Uh, we want to do the right thing. We want to connect people. We want to bring people together. We want to create inviting spaces. And some of us through, do that through engineering. Some of us do it through design, right? Um, but I think as more people have started to talk about racial justice and more people have started to talk about equity, particularly over the last two years with you know both the pandemic and I think the way the pandemic um, resulted in a many, many people for the first time acknowledging um, the death of Black lives, right? George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, they weren't the first. Uh, they, they won't be the last, but people were stuck inside watching the news. And so I think as, as we've seen um, more parts of the industry from government to private sector to, to academia, as we've seen more people put out their statements, realize that they need a race and planning class um, as part of their curriculum or that they need a director of, of equity and inclusion at their firm or agency. Um, we're, we really focus on external facing equity work. So how can we do this project? How can we do this class um, in a way that feels more equitable? And I think something we radically need to rethink is that equity is solely an external um, 
process or can can only manifest externally, right? I think what we have to realize is just because in your heart you want to do equity, you might not be ready, right? Like you may you may need to read, <laughs> you may need to 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 figure out why when you look around at your team, everybody looks like you. Everybody has very similar experiences to you, right? And so I I think you know in the consulting world, this is something you see all the time. An RFP comes out, you know, that says we want to do this, this, and this, and equity, equity, equity. And you'll see these firms apply for it, and you'll you're like, you don't even have women, people of color, like, like what are you, what what are you, what is your skill set to be able to do this? And so, I I think it is important for us to focus on external facing equity. How can our projects, how can our outcomes be more equitable? But I don't think that could be at the sacrifice of doing the internal work. And I think that's that's something I I you know when I do trainings, equity trainings, people are uh, sometimes I get feedback of like we were hoping you took us through a process to evaluate projects in a more equitable way. But instead, we're talking about our personal experiences with racism and we're we're reading, you know, and talking about the tenets of white supremacy culture in a workplace. And so what I always tell people is, is you have to rethink this idea that equity is just something you do out in the world. Um, it, it's It's something that's deeply a personal journey and an organizational journey and a cultural journey. And, and if you can't, if you can't do that, right, you can be an organization that does your external equity work and recruits a bunch of folks of color to come work for you. But if you haven't done the work internally, then what will those folks experiences be? You can do the external work to make sure your outreach and engagement process is more equitable. But if you haven't done the work, and the folks on your staff who you're sending out to these communities still don't get it, then that's still not going to be a good experience for those communities. And so I think we have to just be more thoughtful about the fact that this is ongoing and it's also internal, not just external. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Equity work to be done externally as well as internally. What do you think equity means in the lens of transportation planning, in the lens of development infrastructure? Yeah, it's it's so tough, right? The reason I think it's tough that I was I was at a, a Lake Arrowhead conference a few years ago. Um and there was a, a researcher there uh from the University of, of Minnesota. During his presentation, he said equity is like the color blue, right? We're all saying it. But some people mean sky blue, some people mean electric blue, some people mean dark blue, some people mean navy. And so I think for me, when I talk about equity, I'm always centering race, right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't have an equity like initiative or work or project that centers older adults or trans people or undocumented folks, right? But for me, I'm always I'm always centering race. I think sometimes it is less important to have a definition of equity that everyone in the world can agree with. Um, And more important that whoever you are working with, you're in community with, you're trying to make change with, you make sure you're all on the same page. You make sure you all have the same definition. 
when I try to simplify it, I think of equity as being the folks who have historically had the least get the most <laughs> and, and they, they really lead the way. Um, but in the, in the absence of that, I think whenever you have a project, whenever you have a team, whenever, whenever you have a, a thing you want to do, the most important thing is that you get on the same page about what equity means, because you never want to be in a situation where you're, you know, you're six months into something and you've all been saying equity and you realize that you are all talking about a different shade of blue. You know, for me, something that I've really tried to encourage people is equity become more of a buzzword and in some ways perhaps is losing some meaning as a result. I always feel like we can't have real conversations about equity if we're also not talking about power, right? To me, power is almost more important. So if someone says, I want to do equity work, that's not as sexy to me as if someone says, I want to do power work. I want to talk about the redistribution of power. I want to talk about recognizing power in communities. Um, and it's not as sexy to me as if we talk about self-determination, right? And how do, how do we allow communities to self-determine uh, what equity looks like for them? This is great, Tamika. That was super well put. And, you know, thank you for really tying it with your personal experiences and, of course, ending it with, you know, the combination of equity plus power. That's that's pretty, pretty huge and really, you know, a way to shift the way we think about a lot of these things at this point. So, you know, really moving on to one of our next questions, which is where do you find the biggest gap between how transportation planners view the world and how can non-planners perceive mobility and accessibility and transportation in, in their everyday lives? I mean, so I think your theme on, on intersections is important. And I, I think transportation planners are getting better. However, <laughs> I think there is still sometimes this frustration that I think sometimes transportation planners can be so myopically focused on just transportation, you know, and like it, Charles Brown, another one of my favorite colleagues, I remember hearing him speak once and saying, you know, if you're on my team and you show up at a community meeting about transportation and someone says to you, but I'm worried about displacement, I'm worried about, you know, my home value, I'm worried about getting pushed out, um, and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm the transportation planner. I can't answer your housing questions. Then you're probably not the right planner for my team. And I and 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 that's what I, you know, I, I always try to tell folks, and I I usually have um this Audrey Lord quote that I share, which is there's there's no such thing as is a single issue struggle because we don't lead single issue lives. And I, and I think that's something that I like just wish all transportation planners could just like imprint somewhere because we might go out to a community meeting to talk about a bike lane or service change to transit or a new project. Um, but for the folks who are talking to, there are so many things tied up in that transportation planning project, right? Um, because they don't lead single issue lives. And so if, if more transportation planners could try to adopt the idea that, that the struggle we're in is real and that great things come through struggle, but it can't be singly focused on transportation, 
I think that would dramatically change how a lot of people approach the work. Well, that's such an important point, Tamika. Thank you. Thank you for really tying it up with our theme as well. Um, but it's really not just about mobility or just about transportation. But it intersects with just everything, be it our land use, housing, public health, technology. And it's such a good reminder here that at the end of the day, we are here serving our communities. And that understanding that our work is very intersectional is key. So Tamika, continuing to think about our community and the planning fraternity to say, the audience of this report entails many students and early career professionals that have contributed to the report as well. And we'll be listening to this podcast interview. So, you know, what advice or words of wisdom do you have for them as they advance their careers and contribute to their communities? The first thing I would say is something you said in response to, to my last piece. You said mobility. And I think that's important. You know, I, I really think that as you're early in your career and you're interested in transportation, and especially because when we go to school, that's the specialty, right? Like transportation. I think we have to realize that a lot of the work we do in transportation is really about mobility and whether or not that's social and economic mobility are getting around and just an ability to be mobile and, and to be mobile with, with dignity and as your full self. Um, and so one, I would, I would challenge people to really think about our work is, is mobility work as justice work, not just transportation work or not just transportation policy work, right? How do we think about this work is, is mobility justice work. I also think with transportation, we're always thinking about how to move things. And I think whether or not you are talking about indigenous people, whether or not you are talking about highways ripping through communities, whether or not you are talking about on-house folks, I think we also have to understand that part of our work has to be about how do people stay in place? What is our work at helping people stay in place? and have the right to stay. And then, you know, the the other thing I share is that planning is so interesting to me. I was doing planning work for a long time without a planning degree. Now, of course, I've decided to go back and get a PhD, so I'm I'm really um, getting a planning degree, but I think that something I've had to learn is there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And so Patricia Collins is a a black, you know, feminist um, thinker who really lives in the world of intersectionality. And she talks about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And so sometimes I think as planners, we think we have knowledge because we've gone to school and got this planning degree. But planning is like, you know, I've been, I did it for a long time without a planning degree. But wisdom is something that we all have because we all move in space. And sometimes we like to go into communities and say, we're going to provide a lot of a lot of knowledge because we went to school and we've been trained to do this. But, you know, the homies hanging out on the corner, uh, the the grandmother who knows everything that's going on in the community and knows everybody, they have wisdom and they can tell you everything you need to know about the speed of traffic on that street. They can tell you everything you need to know about the reliability of the bus <laughs> and when it comes and when it doesn't come and what's happening, right? And so we have to not just trust knowledge, 
based on things that we're used to seeing on a resume or being told to make someone smart, we have to learn how to how to also trust wisdom and, and trust lived experiences. That is so powerful. Trusting wisdom and our lived experiences. You know, Tamika, it reminds me of something a professor of mine back in my undergrad in India said to me. To give you some context here, I was in my sophomore year and wanted to do an internship with this professor for the summer. And I go to him to check in a semester before and I ask him, what skills can I really focus on this semester? Is it design skills, data analysis skills? What do you think I should be ready with to bring to this internship? And he responded by saying, you know, just bring in some common sense. So yes, hearing you talk about knowledge, common sense, and wisdom, and you know, really defining it for us today is such a great perspective to have and move forward with. So, you know, that really kind of brings us to one of our last questions for today's conversation, which is what, according to you, is the state of transportation planning in America today? I am cautiously optimistic about the state of of transportation planning. I think something that's been really energizing for me, being a consultant uh, in, in the planning world, working on projects, you get a little jaded and being back in an academic setting and seeing this next generation of planners who do understand and care more about intersectionality, who are, you know, queer women, folks of color, undocumented, um, you know, this, this next generation of planners looks and thinks differently than the folks who are still holding um, positions of power. And so that makes me really optimistic. While at the same time, I'm a Black, queer, gender non-conforming person in America. So like, forgive me if I'm not like completely sold that that things are going to be changing. I've seen and lived and experienced both personally and jobs I've had, but also, you know, we see it in the news every day. What men in power uh, white folks, folks of, you know, folks who have historically had power, whoever that may be in a particular country or landscape, what fear does to them when they feel like they're losing it or that things are changing, right? And so I think our profession is changing. I think the future is bright. And I think the state of things is that the horizon that that we're looking at looks different. But... <laughs> Do we get there or not? And I think oftentimes whether or not we get there is really dependent on if those who currently have the power are, are willing to relinquish some of it, to share their knowledge, to get out of the way if they don't feel ready or if they're going to hold on uh, for th- dear life. So I'm, I'm optimistic, if not cautiously so. Wow, thank you, Tamika. That's that's great. Ending it on a very positive note here and being <laughs> optimistic about the future. How do you think can our audience get in touch with you, connect with you further and learn more about your work? Where can they best reach out to you? Oh man, these days in a library somewhere. Um, <laughs> but um, I would say I'm always happy to talk to folks. Um, I always try to make myself available. I know that I've only gotten to where I am because of incredible uh, mentors and, and support systems. And so I always encourage folks to hit me up on Twitter 
Uh, and, you know, I'm really easy to find uh, at Tamika Butler um, on, on almost every platform, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, everything. And also folks can always hit me up uh, through my website, which is just TamikaButler.com. Uh, and I, I respond to, to every email and, and am always happy uh, to, to chat with folks. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tamika, for joining us today. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of Critical Conversations in Transportation Planning. To learn more and read the entire report, please visit the APA's Transportation Planning Division website at transportation.planning.org.